You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. The Seahawks, unfortunately, going in the loss column again on Sunday, falling 23-16 to the Rams. Really wasn't as close as the final score wound up indicating. Nonetheless, the Seahawks managed to hang in the game. We're going to be breaking down that contest here on our show. We've got a short week with the Cardinals and Seahawks getting ready to play on Thursday night. So, won't be able to dive in quite as deep as we usually do, but still plenty of analysis coming up from yesterday's game. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. For the third time in four weeks, the Seahawks were on the losing end on Sunday, dropping a 23-16 contest to the Rams at SoFi Stadium. It was an ugly, ugly game for the offense, particularly Russell Wilson. This You could make an argument, Rob, that this might have been the worst month of games that Russell Wilson has had, maybe in his entire career, if not just going back to his rookie season, at least in terms of turnovers. He has now committed seven turnovers in the last two games, ten turnovers in the last four games. There's a lot of weight on his shoulders with a lot of the deficiencies this football team has. We'll get to that more later in the show. But one thing in particular that is very evident right now, This football team is badly missing Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde, or at least they are missing a semblance of a ground game. This was the second straight week where I felt like they got in a bit of a panic mode because the other team got up by 10 points, both these games against the Bills and Rams. They were down 17-7, and they got away from running the football. The Bills were 26th in the NFL in run defense. The Rams were much better on paper, but the Seahawks were running the ball well on them the first couple drives of this game, and then they just stopped feeding Alex Collins. It just seems like it was the same theme for a second straight week, and it's put Russell Wilson in a really difficult spot. Yeah, it absolutely has, Corbin. Um, you know, I think that for all of those out there who are so eager to see Russ cook, I, I think that what we are seeing is the Seahawks running game is what sets the table. Um, and, and so the the inability to to keep defenses honest with your running game, um, the inability to to use the play action passing that that continues to be one of the Russell Wilson's absolute best features as a passer is just his remarkable accuracy deep. You take all of those things away when when you don't have a reliable running game. And then specifically with Chris Carson, I just think that that Chris Carson might be the most intense physical. Just, you know, explosive player, certainly on Seattle's offense, with all due respect to the elite athlete that, that is DK Metcalf. But he's he's the tough guy. He's the intimidator. And, and so I think that the, the fact that the Seahawks have not had Chris Carson now for the last couple of games, ever since he got injured uh, going back against the Arizona Cardinals, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, that you could you just almost be able to feel the difference when the Seattle is on offense. If Russell Wilson 
Wilson doesn't make a remarkable play, then, then they're pretty much kind of stuck. And then that was especially the case, of course, of going against a, a Los Angeles Rams team that, that was going to be able to tee off with, with Seattle having all the injuries that they did, not only at the running back position, not along in the offensive line, but yeah, I think to me that that is the, the get quick fix uh, or, or excuse me, get get things fixed quickly uh, solution, in my opinion, for this team. Because I don't know, I, I'm losing confidence that the Seattle's defense is going to be able to turn things around. And I think that's one of the things that's, that's happening with Seattle's coaches as well. Um, is that I think that, that that's one of the reasons why they, uh, you know, once they do get down 17 to 7 or whatever the case might be, then the offense does suddenly change. And then to me, that again is the way that hopefully Seattle can right the ship is if they're able to get Chris Carson specifically healthy. I have a lot of respect for Carlos Hyde, but to me, this to, I think this is all about Chris Carson. If the Seahawks are able to get number 32 back onto the field, that's when they might be able to actually uh, get back into the winning column. Yeah, as our good friend Howard Balzer tweeted, he covers the Cardinals now for Sports Illustrated. In 14 quarters since Chris Carson got hurt against the Cardinals a few weeks ago, running backs for the Seahawks have ran the ball 61 times for 194 yards, 3.2 yards per carry. We are almost in 2017 production levels with those numbers. And if anybody remembers 2017, the Seahawks missed the playoffs with a 9-7 record. And I still believe one of the biggest reasons that that team didn't get back to double digits is because they had no running game to go with Russell Wilson. And it put him in a tough spot for most of the second half of the season, particularly when injuries started to really hinder the defense as well. It just put more burden on his shoulders. And I think you're seeing a similar situation here. It is not a coincidence that since Carson exited that game at Arizona, Suddenly teams are blitzing at will when you don't have to worry about the other team's run game or you don't respect it. You can get much more exotic with your blitzes and that just makes it tougher on the quarterback. It makes it tougher on the offensive line. I've seen a lot of people the last two weeks that are crying out about the offensive lines play. If you watch these last two games, I don't think the offensive line has played poorly. I think Russell Wilson's had a lot of time in the pocket to make throws and receivers either aren't getting open or he's missing guys. Maybe he's getting rattled because there have been more quarterback hits on him. But a lot of the time, the pressure's been more guys coming than the Seahawks can block. And that falls on the quarterback to get the football out to his hot reads. And that was something Pete Carroll mentioned yesterday that he's got to improve upon. He's not getting the football out to those hot reads in those situations. And defenses right now have the advantage because they don't have to worry about the ground game. And obviously Carson's impact certainly is felt there. But I thought, and I'm going to keep bringing this up, the Seahawks had fourth and inches at their own 42-yard line, first drive of the third quarter. They're only down four points. So I can understand Pete Carroll's argument. Well, it's early in the game. We didn't want to give the ball up to him short of midfield. But Reading his body language, obviously being in the press conference, having a chance to ask him about not going for that fourth down situation there with the way the defense has struggled. They already had given up a 93-yard touchdown drive that the Rams started inside their own 10, making the decision there to punt it back to him, and then they march right down the field and score on an 88-yard drive. It just felt like to me, talking to Pete Carroll after the game and Greg Bell from the Tacoma News Tribune was the one that asked that particular question about where Carson fit into that decision. But I believe if Chris Carson was in uniform, that 90% of the time the Seahawks would have gone for it in that situation. I really think that that played a big part in the decision to punt it away. 
Well, I I still struggle with the idea that that Pete Carroll at that point in the game would have gone for it. Um, Just on his own side of the 50-yard line, I I don't know that I I believe that he would have. However, I don't think that it was ever even really a a question in his mind because I just don't – and I have a great deal of respect for Alex Collins. I thought that he played a pretty solid game, to be honest with you. Um, But at the same time, as I mentioned before, I just think that Chris Carson um, just gives the Seahawks – you know, a, a little bit more of an edge to them. Uh, I, I think that it's a lot easier to feel confident that uh, that you're going to be able to get that that one or two or three yards in short yardage type situations just because of, of the determination and the power um, that, that Carson provides. And you know, Corbin, you, you, you mentioned that that you were at the press conference. I, I watched the press conference, and and our listeners going to hear me refer to kind of body language a couple of different times today. And I'm going to mention that with uh, with the way that that Pete Carroll, his body language, and, and how he responded to that question, as you mentioned, that was posed by Greg Bell. And it just looked like the man, and this is Pete Carroll. This is the most optimistic plan, man on the probably on the planet, and, and he just looked down. And obviously, the, the team is lost. They lost three games out of their last four. There's plenty to be down about. But at the same time, it almost looked like like like, like Carroll wanted to acknowledge that yes. That this is not the same team without Chris Carson. That the defense is is woefully disappointing, and I think that that moment that Carroll basically was resigned to the reality that many of us are facing now that the Seahawks defense has not been able to stop anybody, um, and that was the decision that he had is that they could either try and punt and force that team to drive the ball 90 yards, which of course they did. Or they could try to to run the ball right there, and if they don't get it, then then base almost in field goal position already. Um, and so that can you imagine what a difficult decision that would be for a guy who has the has the pride, has the, the success, and has the defensive background that Pete Carroll has. It's it's just a difficult pill for him to swallow right now. His defense is not good enough that he can play that field position game, and they finished the game strong. We'll talk about that later, but. Ultimately, I, I thought that this was really a defining sequence in this game. When Carroll decided not to go for it there, I think he could have given his offense a shot in the arm that they absolutely needed if he would have looked Russell Wilson in the eyes, looked the offensive line in the eyes and said, I believe in you. We are going to get these couple inches. We're going to move the chains and we're going to get down there and score some points. I think that would have been a shot in the arm. Choosing to go out there and bark a few times, trying to get them to jump off sides in a fanless stadium, and then having to take a delay of game penalty. And this was after throwing a challenge flag that never was going to have a play overturned. Russell Wilson was clearly short of the first down marker. You burned a timeout. It, it was just an ugly sequence. And I just felt like the rest of the, I felt like at least on offense, that they were just derailed from that point. They weren't able to recover. Any momentum that they had was lost. And so, again, we'll have more time to talk about that in the third quarter. But Certainly, they are missing having Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde back there. They got to get the run game going so that Russ can get back to cooking the way that he's capable of. When we come back in the second quarter, it's time for our Monday mailbag segment. Rob and I will answer as many Seahawks questions as we can. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Monday show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Later in the third quarter, we have a shortened week, so... 
Not as much time to delve into yesterday's game. We'll have to turn the page quickly. And quite frankly, I'm excited about this. But we're going to have to turn to the next game coming up on Thursday when the Seahawks and Cardinals duke it out. But we'll share some offensive and defensive studs and duds from yesterday's game in Los Angeles. But first, it's time for our weekly Monday mailbag segment. Tons of questions from you. The 12s will get to as many as we can. Rob, I'm going to have you answer the first one here. Coming from Flag Sabbath tweets, should the Seahawks make a move on DeAndre Baker? <laughs> no, I, I don't believe that they should make a move on DeAndre Baker. For people who don't know, um, of course, DeAndre Baker was the, the former first-round cornerback of the New York Giants who, uh, along with Quentin Dunbar, got himself in, in some trouble in Miramar, Florida. Um, apparently, all charges have been dropped. The New York Giants uh, you know, basically have washed their hands of DeAndre Baker, who is a good football player, who does fit in a lot with what Seattle is looking to do. Obviously, Seattle's defense backfield is just in tatters at this point however uh you know i I think that deandre baker and all of the off-field issues that uh, were brought up in this issue and in prior issues as well is plenty of reason to steer clear uh, of him for the seahawks and i don't know the seahawks would have interest in him and dunbar being in the same team even if we don't really know what happened on that night in miramar florida the idea of signing both of them up and maybe it would work out fine I just think that's something the Seahawks probably have no interest in doing. Eric Mack tweets, Is Pete Carroll going to ever publicly take accountability for what's going on with the team, or are we going to keep getting, we have work to do, and next week will be better? Eric, I'm going to be honest, being one of the reporters that is on all of Pete Carroll's press conferences, I can see where this question's coming from, because there certainly are times where Pete Carroll does play that coach speak card where he goes back to the we have work to do we'll get better next week and he's obviously an eternal optimist that's the way that Pete Carroll's programmed and you're going to get answers like that to certain questions and every coach is like this in the NFL some are more open about stuff than others but I think yesterday you did see Pete Carroll he went on the defensive obviously when I asked him about the fourth down situation a couple other reporters took a step further with that certainly you could tell he was aggravated about that but He told us he understood why we were asking the question, and I feel like he understands at this point, if you're really paying attention to his body language and diving deep into some of the things that he says, I think it's becoming clear he understands. I've got a defense that isn't where it needs to be right now, and it isn't just simply we have work to do. He's frustrated, and he's especially frustrated by the fact that his quarterback suddenly can't stop turning over the football. He knows they need to get the run game going. So I thought last night he gave some very good responses to some difficult questions from Seattle reporters. So there's always going to be those questions about taking accountability. Coaches are going to do what they do. Coach speak is going to happen any press conference. But I think overall last night, the responses that he gave, even if you don't agree with it, What he said, I thought he was pretty open with reporters about a number of issues stemming from this game. Steve tweets, at what point will Jordan Brooks get on the field more? Seems to always be making a play. He did have that big pass deflection where he crunched a receiver late in the game yesterday. Just kind of seems like he stands out one or two plays every game, and that's a good development for the Seahawks defensively. 
Yeah, there, there's so many things to, to knock in, in this game. But at the same time, I, I thought that Jordan Brooks is slowly but surely starting to make more plays and, and uh, you know, kind of justify the Seattle selection of him. Um, but to, to answer Steve's question, I, I don't know that you are going to see Jordan Brooks get on the field that much more just uh, any time uh, particularly soon, barring injury, um, just because I think it's also very clear that the Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright are, are definitely steps ahead of him um, in terms of the linebacker depth chart, in terms of reliability, and that I think that we are just seeing basically a, a changing of the guard in the way the NFL offenses are built, and that if you are going to try to have a base defense of three linebackers, then they better be very, very reliable. And instead, Seattle, like most teams, has been forced, forced to use a lot of nickel and dime coverage with extra defensive backs, and so I just don't know that you are going to see a scenario where, where Seattle has all three of their base linebackers going against all of these offenses that are usually are usually using three, four, five receivers in the field all at the same time. Bryce Coots tweets, is it possible DJ Reed gets the starting corner opposite of Shaquille Griffin once everybody gets healthy in the secondary? I know that he did some nice things yesterday and Pete Carroll was complimentary of DJ Reed. I was really happy with what I saw with him on his kick return because that's the explosiveness they have been lacking back there. I think we're going to see him returning kicks more often for the Seahawks, and he should be. He was pretty good at that his rookie season for the 49ers. He actually had a 90-yard return against the Seahawks, so they should know firsthand what he's capable of. As far as in the secondary, though, with his size, being only 5'9", not having the long arms that Pete Carroll prefers, if they've got Trey Flowers, Shaquille Griffin, and possibly Quentin Dunbar all healthy, those guys are going to be playing on the outside before DJ Reed does. I think they will find ways to get him on the field in sub packages, and they're going to use him on special teams, but he has made a fair number of mistakes in coverage. He's still getting used to the defense. He's really only played three games with this team, and so while there's been some encouraging things, I don't necessarily see him being a solution for this team on the outside. You can play him there for a game or two, but they're hoping they can get Shaquille Griffin back, and he and Trey Flowers will stay the starters on the outside, and if Quentin Dunbar is able to get healthy, then he can get back in the lineup as well. Brad McKenzie tweets, interesting question here about a popular player that's on the practice squad. Is Michael Kendricks going to get promoted to the active 53-man roster anytime soon? This looks to me like a Damon Harrison type situation where the Seahawks love him, but there's really not room for him. Yeah, that's the thing, is that we didn't see Damon Harrison get himself activated until Seattle continued to have uh, injuries along the defensive line, and that's why I basically feel it's going to happen here. Uh, As long as Seattle has, again, Bobby Wagner, uh, K.J. Wright, and Jordan Brooks all healthy, then then I would be surprised if you see a lot of of Michael Kendricks. Now, he could get himself activated, um, just as the depth thing, but what are you doing at that point? I mean, you, you have two other young linebackers and Cody Barton and Ben curve and that you would like to know what those younger players have as opposed to an older player coming off of injury like a Michael Kendrick. So I, I think that, that the Kendricks, as you mentioned with, with uh, Snacks Harrison, that he's a great depth player. He's a guy that you can trust if you need him. Um, but at the same time, I would expect the Seahawks to go with the younger, uh, hopefully faster athletes that they already have on the field. Jim Morris tweets, the offense looks lost without Carson and Hyde. As we talked about in the first quarter, that certainly looks to be the case. If neither plays on Thursday, do you feel confident with DJ Dallas and Alex Collins in the backfield? I'm going to say this right now. 
I've seen enough positive things from DJ Dallas and from Alex Collins, the two games that he has been up with the roster here the past two weeks, to be confident that those guys can get the job done. Again, to me, this falls on a couple different factors. One, they've fallen behind early, and as I mentioned first quarter, I think there has been some desperation that has settled in because of how bad this defense has played this year that, oh man, we're down 10 already, we got to air it out, and they've gotten away from the ground game. Obviously, those two guys are not Chris Carson. Chris Carson is one of the top five or six running backs in the NFL, but Alex Collins, a couple years ago, you could make an argument, was one of the top 10 backs in the league for the Ravens. He's more than capable of shouldering the load. And it's interesting that Pete Carroll did mention today, we can use him more. I think he was admitting we got away from the ground game too early yesterday. They'd like to give him more carries. He was able to get 13 of them yesterday. Feels like he's got the physicality and the durability to be able to run the ball more than that if needed. And so... Dallas has done some nice things. Collins has done some nice things. If they have to go with them Thursday night, they should be confident in those two. They just have to get back to running the football and sticking with it throughout the game and not giving up on it early as they have the last couple weeks. Battle Bunker Bob tweets, Shaquem Griffin was playing pretty well after being elevated to the active roster, but he has lost his snaps as of late. Curious as why that's the case. Well, I think the, the the trade for Carlos Dunlap for one, um, you now you have another defensive lineman who is going to be able to to play that defensive end role. Now, obviously, Shaquem Griffin and, and Carlos Dunlap have completely different body types, but uh, you you are looking to get a pass rush however you can. Again, you make the trade for Carlos Dunlap, you get Rasheem Green back from injury, you have uh, Jamal Adams back, who obviously is you know is one of Seattle's best pass rushers, and so I think all of those factors are are reasons why. Shaquem Griffin isn't getting more plan more playing time on the defensive side of the ball. At the same time, I think that he is also proving that he is one of your absolute best special teams performers. And so if you are uh, taking away uh, Griffin's snaps on the defensive side of the ball, um, as long as he continues to make big plays on special teams, then I think that his spot on the on the roster is safe. Um, but at the same time, it's as as productive as Griffin was, as many flashes as he showed on defense, I think this is a defense that, that is still struggling regardless of, of whether it's Griffin or or one of those other edge rushers on the field for the Seahawks. You mentioned Dunlap to me that's got to be the biggest reason that he hasn't been getting snaps at this point and and they've got a couple of other young pass rushers like Alton Robinson that they're giving more reps to as well. There are still opportunities that you can use him as that situational pass rusher but really hasn't happened the last couple of weeks so right now like his first couple seasons in the league being forced to play special teams Vashon tweets for our last question here might sound crazy, but moving Jamal Adams to linebacker and letting someone else play safety makes sense. He blitzes a lot, leaving defensive backs alone. Teams know he's coming 98% of the time and hire an outside person to help with the defense. Uh, I can agree with the last part of that. I, I absolutely think that the Seahawks after this season, they could use somebody from the outside to, you know, implement some wrinkles that can help this defense. I mean, look at what Robert Sala has done in San Francisco. Yes, they're using some of the principles he learned when he was on Seattle's coaching staff, but they have made adjustments and they've added wrinkles of their own defensively. And that's why last year, one of the big reasons they got to the Super Bowl when they had most of their really good players on defense, they had a really good scheme to go with those players. And so certainly I could see that being something they do. As far as moving Adams to linebacker, 
I don't know necessarily he's ever going to have the position be changed to that, but that's he's a hybrid. I mean, he's one of those guys that can play safety, but he's so darn good up in the box, and I wouldn't blame him for the defensive back's woes back there. He's had some issues in coverage himself because he's so aggressive, but he's capable of being good in coverage. I, I think it's just a little bit premature having only seen him play five games. The Seahawks are still figuring out how to best deploy him. And why wouldn't you blitz him? He's so darn good at him. He's on pace. If he would have played a 16-game season, he's on pace for more than 16 sacks. I mean, the guy is phenomenal rushing off the edge. They've just got to figure out how to utilize that without leaving some of their other players vulnerable. So I don't know how you feel about that, Rob, but I think that we all knew going into this that you were getting a safety that also has linebacker abilities. That's his game. That is his game. And that's the thing is if if you are asking him to to play something other than what he does best, then then you're really not taking full advantage of his unique skill set. You know, I'm old enough. Um, to to remember how that there were fans in Pittsburgh who didn't always like the fact that the Troy Polamalu would kind of go off script and, and do some pretty crazy things for the Steelers. And often that would result in absolutely monstrous plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But also there were times where uh, where, where he put the defense in, in difficult situations and led to some, some massive gains for the offense. I think that Jamal Adams does that same kind of thing for the Seahawks. He, re, he gives Gives you some some plays where it's huge plays for Seattle, but also puts them in position where, where the defense can get can get themselves in trouble, and that is going that is to be expected when, when you have a player that is basically new to your system. It's going to take some time. I mentioned the body language before. Just look at the body language between Jamal Adams and when he makes his big plays, and the way that the rest of Seattle's defense. Sometimes they kind of jump up and congratulate him, but there were times this last game where they weren't doing so, and to me, that was one of the most concerning things about this game is the fact that uh, even when Jamal Adams was making big plays, the rest of his teammates didn't congratulate him the way I thought that they might. So I, I understand Vashon's uh, question. I think it's a good one. And I think it's something the Seahawks absolutely have to get figured out how to best employ Jamal Adams. When we return for the third quarter, we've got a short week, another game coming up in less than 72 hours. The Seahawks will be gearing up to face off against the Cardinals at CenturyLink Field. So we are going to quickly wrap up analysis on yesterday's loss in Los Angeles. Some studs and duds, both on offense and defense. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As an avid weightlifter and distance runner, I'm always looking for an edge when it comes to nutrition, seeking delicious, healthy protein bars without the crazy additives. Since being diagnosed with celiac disease, my options have been pretty limited. Until now. Enter in the Built Bar, a low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, gluten-free protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar now comes in 18 mouth-watering flavors, including six new delicious flavors such as caramel brownie and cookies and cream. My all-time favorite is peanut butter brownie, which is 20 grams of protein, just 3 grams of sugar, and 3 grams of net carbs. Since I had my first Built Bar, I never go without one when I hit the weight room or go for a jog. All Built Bars are 100% chocolate, nut and gluten-free, soft and easy to chew, and don't have the nasty aftertaste of competing protein bars. Sound too good to be true? Go to BuiltBar.com and build your own custom box with your choice of flavors using the code LOCKEDON for $10 off. You will also receive a free cooler with your first purchase while supplies last. So what are you waiting for? Change your workout game by going to BuiltBar.com and entering code LOCKEDON for $10 off. 
And we're back here in the third quarter of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. The Seahawks losing their third game in four weeks to the Rams. They are now 1-2 and two in the NFC West division. They are atop the division, but they're in third place due to tiebreakers. The Cardinals and the Rams have both won head-to-head matchups against them, so they've got the first two slots with a 6-3 and three record. The Seahawks will have a chance to climb back ahead of those teams on Thursday night when they play the Cardinals for the second time this season at CenturyLink Field. Let's break down yesterday's loss. Not much positive, but certainly there were some good things that came from this game on both sides of the football. There were some big plays that were made. Let's start off with the duds on the negative side of things. Let's start on the offensive side. I think you and I can both agree the biggest dud from yesterday's game has got to be the man that has been the talk of the town all season, the MVP frontrunner for the first eight, nine weeks of the season. I think it's safe to say after yesterday's performance that Russell Wilson has jumped off the MVP mountaintop, and at least for now, he is in the land of the pedestrian after throwing two interceptions and no touchdowns yesterday against the Rams. Yeah, I think that that is an appropriate place to start, but I I would say, Corbin, I think the quarterbacks get way too much credit when things are going right, and now Russell Wilson's going to get way too much blame, not necessarily just from you and I, but just you know, uh, nationally um, for for Seattle's losses. Um, as you mentioned, though, the, the lack of a touchdown, um, that that was obviously distressing. Um, and that, But the, to me, that the one specific play is the one that anybody who watched that game likely will remember when, when Russell Wilson had a very clear uh, running pathway to at least a first down and possibly a touchdown. Instead, uh, just made a very uncharacteristic, late, poor decision, um, you know, and, and decided to throw against his uh, against his body, throw the, 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 the ball into the corner of the end zone, the wind up getting intercepted. Um, and, and it's those red zone interse- red zone turnovers are what is just absolutely killing this team. Um, just because we, we all know Pete Carroll, you know, and, and the focusing on the football and to give away points opportunities, especially in a game where you wind up losing by seven, even if you would have only had the three there, um, then I think that that would have absolutely changed this game. So yeah, I, I think that Russell Wilson, we have to start there i would like not only to see him uh you know just try to calm himself down a little bit um but it's not only that play it's just i thought that there were too many times in this game corbin where uh i i would expect a quarterback with with russell wilson's experience to be able to identify some pre-snap reads of where the pressure might be coming and to be able to get the ball out uh quicker than he did as the game went on um but again quickly that's not all all on on Russell Wilson. Certainly, there's some some issues with the, the pass protection. There's some issues with, with some of his receivers dropping the ball, and there certainly I thought was an issue with the coaching. I thought that the the very first drive of the game was was a coach's clinic, and I'm going to gush about Brian Schottenheimer and the work that the Seahawks did when we start talking about studs on offense. But as far as duds, I, whatever brilliance that the coaches and Russell Wilson showed in that very first drive of the game when they got their only touchdown. They lost it by the end of the game. 
See, I'm going to be a little bit more critical than what you were on Russell Wilson. And obviously, I understand there are other people that are to blame here. And certainly the coaching staff, some of the things that were done, again, getting away from the ground game the way they did, did not benefit Russell Wilson at all. And it really sets the defense up to be able to tee off on the quarterback. You can bring a lot of pressure when you don't respect the run game. And clearly, the Bills last week and the Rams this week did not care. They were going to shut down Russell Wilson. And if you get a few nice runs on us, so be it. And so that has impacted things. But you mentioned uncharacteristic decisions. Unfortunately, when you keep making the same mistakes over and over again, can you really use the word uncharacteristic anymore? Because every single interception that he has thrown in the end zone, and by the way, it's four of them the last six weeks, have all been throws that never should have been made. And so that's what's troubling to me. You know, if he had passes getting deflected to the line of scrimmage or they were getting tipped up in the air somehow and, you know, you had some bad luck interceptions or if a receiver dropped it like Greg Olson's in week two, that's one thing. But it's the type of turnovers that Russell Wilson's committing right now that are worrisome. I think he's going to get around this and if he can get the run game going to take some pressure off him, I think we could see Russell Wilson from weeks one through five again. But right now... He's pressing, whether he wants to admit it or not, and that's causing him to try to do too much at times, and he's making throws that he, prior to this season, would not have made. He's got to get out of that rut. Sometimes just take what the defense has given you. As far as duds on the defensive side of the football, I mean, there's other guys I could point out on offense, but I think it all starts with the quarterback. On defense, one of the guys is supposed to be one of the quarterbacks of the defense is Quandre Diggs, and I feel like this has been a consistent argument this year. He just is not playing anywhere close to the player that the Seahawks acquired from the Lions at the trade deadline last year. He was such an impact addition for them with three interceptions and five starts. And this game, there were a couple horrifying plays on his part. He gave up a 31-yard reception from the opening drive of the game where he got his body turned around. He's out of position. Cooper Cup is wide open catches it into the red zone. A couple plays later, the Rams are knocking on the door. Luckily, ended up being held to a field goal on that drive. And then there was another drive that was capped off where Diggs had a one-on-one opportunity to tackle the running back and ended up completely coming up with nothing but air as he dove in the running back's feet. The running back just ran over him and didn't make any contact with him. And we see that time and time again where he just kind of throws his body at ball carriers, doesn't wrap, and he has had some pretty bad results in that regard, missing tackles this year. I just, I thought it was another poor effort from Quandre Diggs in this game. I keep waiting for the player that made such a difference for them last season to show up. And unfortunately, it has not to this point. No, it really hasn't. Um, and I think that you describe Quandre Diggs' tackling style very, very well and that he rarely uses his arms and wraps completely. He kind of relies on just the the knockdown power that, that he is able to provide. And to me, he is one of Seattle's better hitters. But I, you need a, a tackler at the free safety position as the last line of defense. And so I would agree with you that it's been a concern. And, and I, I think it's interesting that you, you mention a safety play because I'm going to mention a safety as well in Jamal Adams. And I, I recognize that they, he created the turnover, uh, that they, he had the sack, as you mentioned before, on pace for um, what would be a sack per game. Um, you know, but at the same time, uh, the, the one play that really, really jumped 
jumped out to me was the Malcolm Brown touchdown. And on that particular play, uh, you know, if you watch the replay, you will see that uh, the, the Puna four gets blocked down into Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner isn't there, but it does look like that Jamal Adams is in position to, at the very, very least, be able to provide a, a good physical hit to provide some type of defense that Malcolm Brown, uh, the Rams running back, was going to have to run through. And instead, uh, Jamal Adams kind of taps him with his helmet, doesn't provide much physicality at all, and and, and Brown breezes through um, for the, the easy touchdown. That, as you mentioned, put it up at 17-7. And to me, that was one of the backbreaking plays um, in this game. And I, I mentioned this you know, a little earlier in our show today, Corbin, about how, how the, the Seahawks' defensive players um, and their teammates, once Jamal Adams did make that, they you know, forced the fumble, knocked the ball out of Jared Goff's hands. The Seahawks were able to recover and, and really give them some momentum going into the half due to Jason Myers' big-time field goal. I was surprised by by the lack of excitement from Jamal Adams' teammates when he ran over to the sideline. To me, it looked like a, a team that, that's a little bit fractured, a little bit like, hey, you, you made the big play, but you kind of – you laid an egg a little bit earlier when it mattered in the red zone. And to me, that is one of the things that, that the Seahawks, again, have got to get figured out is how best to take full advantage of Jamal Adams' traits um, and, and to make sure that he is being the leader and not the distraction. I'll say this. Uh, I'll say this in closing with Jamal Adams. I, I, you know, as I watch games, I'm texting with other scouts and things that I've met over 20 years in this business, Corbin. And I had a scout, one of the guys whose opinion I respect as much as anybody when it comes to just evaluating players. And he said, mark my words, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but the, the trade for Jamal Adams is going to wind up being one of the worst moves in league in the league. And, and that is right after Jamal Adams got ran over again on, on this touchdown. And again, Adams gets the big play, and he does a lot of great things for you. But at the same time, if the Seahawks cannot figure out how to put Jamal Adams in a position to be successful, then the whole thing all could fall apart. Ooh, I was not expecting that roast to happen here, but certainly I remember that play, and certainly the effort can be questioned there. Let's end on a positive note here, though. We just went through some duds. There were plenty of them in a big-time loss in Los Angeles. Let's talk studs on the offensive side of the football continuing to play at an all-pro level. Dwayne Brown, highest score for the Seahawks in this game on either side of the ball from Pro Football Focus, had several really nice run blocks, no pressures giving up, protecting the blind side, just continues to amaze me with his athleticism in space when he's blocking against athletic pass rushers, you name it. I still think he is having one of the best seasons, if not the best season of his career. He's playing at that kind of a level. And so it's really been a treat getting to watch him do his work over there on the left side and being healthy and and being able to play like he's capable of. Alex Collins, I thought, played really well in this game. Pete Carroll mentioned they could have given the ball more. Had his first touchdown in nearly two years, a 13-yard score, the only touchdown the Seahawks scored in this game. And on the defensive side of the ball, I got to go with Puna Ford. I thought Puna Ford maybe was the best player for the Seahawks in this football game on either side. He was making an impact in the run game department. He got blocked down a couple times, but in general, he was blowing up plays. He had a couple tackles for loss. His first sack of the season, opening drive of the game, he blasts Jared Goff as he throws on third down and forces a field goal. And so they didn't have much pass rushing help in this game. Really, Jamal Adams and Puna Ford were the only two guys that contributed. But I had Puna Ford down for four pressures, and I found it notable that the Rams started running a lot of bootlegs to the right 
as the game progressed. And I think part of it was they did not trust their interior line to keep Puna Ford out of the backfield. He was extremely disruptive. The most I've seen him as a pass rusher, and that's coming out after a game against Buffalo where I thought he played well rushing the passer as well. So another big game for Puna Ford, who has really taken a nice step forward in his third season. He has. And to me, if you want to try and take some positive takeaways from from this game, I do believe that that Seattle's defensive line just by itself is starting to to show some signs of being a much more difficult unit. Um, Again, I I think that this getting health, uh, getting healthy is going to help. Uh, We mentioned before with, uh, say, Rasheem Green, I I still have some hopes that that Daryl Taylor might be able to get his way onto the field. And then again, Carlos Dunlap, I thought, had a, a second solid game not necessarily the, the huge impact that he had uh, immediately against Buffalo but also a uh, solid game absolutely echo your opinions on, on Dwayne Brown especially um, I, I mentioned Jason Myers before I mean 21 consecutive field goals made dating back to last year for the Seahawks that is absolutely remarkable the 61 yarder that he hit right before halftime is, is he was fortunate that it wasn't 62 yarders uh, a 62 yard field goal attempt because I don't think that he would have cleared that. Um, but still, what, what a, a great kick for Jason Meyer. I think that he absolutely deserves some credit there. And then again, I, I mentioned this before. I, I think that the Seahawks coaches really deserve a great deal of credit. I can't imagine how they, they thought, uh, you know, trying to prepare for this game, just knowing how, how fearsome Aaron Donald is, knowing how fearsome the Jalen Ramsey is, all of that, the, how they were going to be able to scheme this team into points. Um, and yet that's exactly Exactly what they did. I thought it was absolutely coaches tape, um, you know, just a coaching clinic what, that they put on in that very first drive and just all the different, uh, you know, the, the, re- the reverses, the, the draws, the, the gain the ball out of the hands of Russell Wilson very, very quickly. I thought it was a gorgeous drive from from that uh, from that perspective for, for the CX opening drive. And as you mentioned, got their, their only touchdown. But after that, the unwillingness uh, to, to, to call some of those similar plays, the unwillingness to challenge Jalen and Ramsey um, with DK Metcalf to me, I thought that the Seahawks failed to do the one thing that Pete Carroll always says to do, compete. And that's the thing that was the most disappointing for me about this game is as positive as I want to be and as much as I believe that this team can compete with any team in the NFL when they actually compete and when they're actually healthy, I'm just curious to see if they're going to be able to pull that off on Thursday. You stole the words right out of my mouth. I was going to close that I thought the one thing that was missing yesterday was the competitive component. You've got DK Metcalf. I don't care how good Jalen Ramsey is. You've got to get your shots to your best receiver. And that's not a shot at Tyler Lockett. DK Metcalf is just a matchup nightmare that very few teams have on offense. And I just felt like they didn't make enough of an effort to get him involved in this football game. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by going to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up on our Tuesday show, going to have to change things up a little bit with it being a short week. We're going to move our normal Thursday agenda where we're breaking down key matchups for an upcoming game. We're going to be tackling that on tomorrow's show as the Seahawks get ready for their rematch against the Cardinals at CenturyLink Field. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks!